Welcome to the First Assembly podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and find encouragement through the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible or a device, will you open with me to the book of James, chapter 3? The book of James, chapter 3. We'll be there in just a moment. You know, there have been many questions that we have been forced to answer as the people of God in our long and winding history. Are you with me? And time and time again throughout our history, we've been forced to slow down at key moments and dark hours to answer a very pressing question, what is the church? What does it mean for us as a people from nations, tribes, and tongues to come together as this thing called the church? And I think many of us, along with many of you, have become convinced that we are in one of those moments, fracturing and division, disagreement and outrage, acts of shame and moral superiority. There's polarization on the right and on the left. And I think we're in desperate need to slow down and answer this question once more. What is the church? What does it mean for us to be the church? And because of this, we have been in the midst of a series called The Church will rise, where we've been examining key virtues that the Spirit is trying to birth in us as a community. And these virtues are taken directly from the letters of the earliest apostles, so that in the midst of these gut-wrenching times, where the world is unsettled, divided, and hurting, we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, rise up and be his church. In this series, we've covered our deep need for wisdom, Maybe that's just me. Our need to learn our native language, which is boldness in prayer, that we need apocalyptic vision to see things God's way, and we need love because without love, we are nothing more than a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And on the docket for this morning, I want to talk about blessing, thanksgiving. I want to talk about gratitude. And I want to suggest this to you this morning right off the bat, that in order for us to rise up, we must become a community of blessing in a culture of curse. In order for us to rise up and be the church, we must become a community of blessing in a culture of curse. But first, I just want to pray together. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. Come, teacher. Point out the beginning, direct our progress, and help us in completion. And Holy Spirit, I pray more than anything that the words of my mouth with my tongue and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And we all said together, amen. Amen. Words create worlds. Words create worlds. Worlds. These are the words of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, remembered by his daughter Susanna Heschel. Words he often wrote are themselves sacred. God's tool for creating the universe and our tool for bringing holiness or evil into the world. He used to remind us that the Holocaust did not begin with the building of crematoria and Hitler did not come to power with tanks and guns, it all began with uttering evil words, with defamation, with language and propaganda. Words create worlds, he used to tell me when I was a child. They they must be used very carefully. Some words, hear this line, some words once having been uttered gain eternity 
and can never be withdrawn. Words create worlds. Words construct our reality. They make sense of our human existence and our experiences. They generate worlds within which we can live. And all of this because, of, because through words, we are being formed and reformed and formed again. As the famous poet Emily Dickinson once wrote, a word is dead when it is said, some say. I say, it just begins to live that day. Perhaps more interesting to you are the words of the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who wrote, all I need is a sheet of paper and something to write with, and I can turn the world upside down. Words create worlds. Think of the proverb that many of us were taught as children, sticks and stones may break my bones, finish it with me, but words will never hurt me. Hear me, nothing could be more untrue. You were lied to as a child. With sticks and stones, our bones may break, but most of the time they will heal. Are you with me? But on account of words, the entire direction of our lives can be changed. Serious wounds, far worse than bone breaking, can be inflicted, and cosmic damage can take place. To put it simply, uh, words coming from the heart and passing by our tongue have the ability to deal death or life. To return to words from Abraham Joshua Heschel, speech has power. Words do not fade. What starts out as a sound ends in a deed. All of this because as the book of Proverbs reminds us, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words create worlds. And so if words create worlds, then for us to rise as the church in this season, we need to thoughtfully consider the way we're using our words. In other words, for the church to rise, we need to become a community, myself included, that learns to tame our tongue and to recognize that we were created for one thing, for blessing, to use our speech and our tongue to speak God's world into existence. And these very concerns, words creating worlds and taming our tongue, these are at the heart of the text we're examining. Look there with me, James chapter 3. I'll start reading halfway through verse 2. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking, they are whole. Maybe your translation says mature or perfect. Able to exercise control over their whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small spark of the body, yet it boasts great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small spark. Here in the context of the letter, James now transitions into chapter 3 by returning to the theme of speech. It was first introduced in chapter one when James wrote to the people in the dispersion, you must be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because the anger of humans does not produce the justice of God. Or a few verses later, as James said this, uh, the often quoted line, if anyone thinks they are religious, yet they do not exercise control over their tongue, but what? Deceive their heart. Their religion is worthless. And now all of this culminates as James returns to this theme of the tongue in chapter three, as he focuses specifically on the power of our speech. 
And James focuses on speech because James's letter is saturated in ideas that emerge from the wisdom tradition of the Hebrew Bible. James stands in a long tradition of the wisdom of the people of God. Think of Proverbs chapter 10, the mouth of a righteous person is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Or Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Or as I quoted a few minutes ago, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Or the words of our great rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, according to the wisdom tradition, the tongue functions as synecdoche. Can you say synecdoche? Well done. This is a word that you can drop at your Thanksgiving dinners tonight or tomorrow to sound very intelligent amongst friends. The word synecdoche is a figure of speech, and here's how it works. It's, it's a word that represents something. It's one small part of something that represents the whole. That's what a synecdoche is. So if I say to you, nice wheels, I mean usually nice car. Are you with me? Or if I say boots on the ground, I'm not literally referring to having our boots on the ground. I'm referring to the people who are on the ground on mission. See, it's one part of something that represents the whole thing. That's what synecdoche is. And James is using a synecdoche here to highlight that while the tongue may be one minuscule part of the human body, the tongue represents your whole body. And while this may seem strange to us in our modern context, the tongue is highlighted for a particular reason because our ability to keep our tongue in check will show our ability to keep our whole person in check. See, according to the apostle, if we are not controlling our tongue, it reveals a far more insidious problem. Are you with me? That the unseen parts of our hearts are actually wildly out of control. See, the tongue reveals because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the mouth speaks using the tongue. See, the tongue is one tiny part of our body, but it reveals the depths of our hearts. In fact, interestingly, uh, psychologists and neuroscientists, dare I say, catching up with the wisdom of our scriptures, argue that when we are attentive to our speech patterns and we stop ourselves from talking at times, anyone ever done this? Ooh, shouldn't say that. James laughed, I like that. Something significant actually takes place in our brains. And what we've learned from neuroplasticity or sort of brain plasticity is that as human beings, we possess the ability to reorganize and restructure our own brains by making new connections and participating in what psychologists call cortical remapping. According to experts, one of the primary ways that we can make new connections in our brain and new maps of meaning is by what? Becoming aware of our speech. See, when we stop words from falling out of our mouths, we train ourselves to slow down and process the root cause of our speech patterns. In other words, in becoming attentive to our speech, we can locate deceptive ideas and tainted desires that are funding our speech. And then once we home in on those ideas and desires that are funding our speech, we can weaken them. And once we weaken them, they can become malleable and changeable so that we can begin to reconceptualize our ideas and desires based on the teachings of our scriptures. In other words, controlling the tongue means that we can control our whole person. We stop speech. It causes us to examine our hearts. We can weaken neuropathways and then recalibrate ourselves to be more Christ-centered. 
See, the wisdom that emerges from our scriptures that is now validated by psychology and neuroscience is quite simple. The tongue is just the final stop. Are you with me? It reveals the reality of the deepest parts of our hearts and minds. And if we can tame the tongue, we can actually create new maps of meaning and we can speak new worlds into existence. See, what James wants us to think about is that when we curse others by making cutting comments or tearing others down or gossiping or slandering, we need to learn to stop and ask, where is this coming from? When we say things we know we shouldn't say, or type things we know we shouldn't type, when we make sly, critical, or cutting comments, when we make derogatory, misogynistic, or racist remarks, When we speak about others behind their back or we say things that intentionally try to destroy someone else's reputation, that's slander, or when we boast or when we exaggerate or when we tell stories that always somehow make us the hero of that story. See, the tongue is one tiny part, but it reveals our heart deep within. There's a story that's probably folklore, but I came across it in my study for this morning, and I wanted to share it with you. Apparently, so the story goes, a woman came up to clergyman, theologian, and evangelist John Wesley. If you're unfamiliar with him, he was one of the key leaders of a revival movement within the Church of England that's now called Methodism. But this woman came up to John Wesley, referring to Jesus's parable of the tenants, and said to John Wesley, my talent is to speak my mind. And apparently the preacher responded, well, God won't object if you bury that talent. (laughs) Or as another famous revivalist preacher once said, if the envious, the defamers, and the backbiters were taken out of the average church, there would be revival overnight. You see, words create worlds. And if you're not convinced by ancient wisdom and modern neuroscience, James follows for us with three word pictures to help us understand his argument. The bit and the horse the rudder and the ship, the spark and the fire. Now, there are three significant things about these word pictures that we should notice, and the first one is power. Notice that according to the imagery, the tongue has no power in and of itself. Are you with me? But the tongue is the focal point through which power is channeled. The bit, the rudder, and the spark are powerless outside of an appropriate context. What would we do with a bit but no horse? I don't know, walk around with it, I guess, or a rudder, but no ship. I mean, that would be very odd or a spark, but nothing to light on fire. You see the bit, the rudder and the spark, they function as a focal point through which the direction of the horse, the ship and the fire are navigated. In other words, the tongue is the focal point of so much power in the imagery. Are you with me? But second, notice the contrasting in size. I mean, the, the bit, the rudder, and the spark are tiny compared to a horse, a ship, and a forest fire. The contrast draws our attention to the value or the importance of the tongue in the body. The tongue is vastly out of proportion relative to the size of our body, but the impact is massive. John Calvin once remarked uh, that the slender portion of flesh referencing our tongue contains the whole world of iniquity. Finally, there's control that's embedded here. The word picture highlights that horses are not simply controlled. Are you with me? I, by the way, just an aside, terrified of riding horses. I mean, they are a powerful animal. Anyone else? Uh, Yeah, thank you. I'm glad one other person, other people like, you don't love horses? Um, Ships don't simply move in the proper direction. And sparks require an appropriate context. Otherwise, they will cause massive destruction. 
See, horses will run wild, ships will flow with the winds, and sparks will turn to fire and consume everything on their path. Similarly, the tongue, when it is not controlled, will not naturally lead you in the right direction. Somebody say amen. It will cause massive destruction. In other words, the tongue is just the final stop. It's the minuscule but powerful key component that reveals who we truly are and what we truly believe. And so if words create worlds and the entire course of existence uh, can be determined by our tongues, what will happen if we do not exercise control over our tongues? Read chapter three, verse six. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It's placed among the members as a world of unrighteousness or injustice. It stains the whole body. It sets on fire the wheel of Genesis and is itself set on fire by Gehenna, or your translation likely says hell. So James here uses another imagery taken from the wisdom literature. The tongue possesses the ability to burn the world down. The turn of phrase that James uses to describe the destruction is actually really hard to translate into English from Greek. It could mean the course of existence for Lion King fans. It could mean the circle of life or the wheel of Genesis. Regardless, James is trying to highlight the cosmic nature of the tongue's power. Are you with me? James highlights that the tongue can undo the entirety of the created order. There's a cosmic dimension to our speech. It seeps into all of creation. Hear me, the tongue can undo the very course of God's design for the world. The tongue can undo the circle of life. It can destroy communities. It can build up unjust structures. It can deliver sting and death because through speech, we possess the ability to bring new beginnings, new identities, new structures, indeed new worlds into existence. You see, words create worlds. And according to James, the tongue's fiery, destructive power will affect all of human existence from beginning to end. And he warns us, hear me. James says this as a pastor, as a wisdom teacher. He says, your tongue can be corrupted. It can be co-opted and set on fire by the very power of hell. You know, as the vast majority of us will remember, May 1st, 2016, a wildfire began southwest of Fort McMurray. Only two days later, the fire swept through the entire community, forcing the largest wildfire evacuation in Alberta's history. Upwards of 88,000 people were forced to leave their homes. Sweeping through Fort McMurray, the, the fire destroyed about 2,400 homes and buildings, and it continued to spread across northern Alberta and into Saskatchewan, consuming vast amounts of forested areas. There was an estimated cost, uh, cost of $9.9 billion in damage. This is the largest costing uh, damage or disaster in Canadian history. The fire spread across, I just learned this, 1.5 million acres of land. How crazy is that? And here's what James wants to tell you, is while that fire is horrific and destructive and it displaced many people, he wants you to know that your tongue can do even worse damage than that. It's a fire, and it can be used to burn the whole world down, to burn people, to destroy places, and to devastate communities. You see, because words create worlds. Look at verse 7. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can bring the tongue under control. No human can bring the tongue under control. It is an uncontrolled evil overflowing with deadly poison. 
By means of the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and by means of our tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James actually uses a bunch of language here that's lifted from Genesis chapter one. You see, according to Genesis one, all of the creeping land animals and birds and reptiles, they're to be brought under control and ruled and reigned over by humanity. And James is saying, listen, all of the created order has been tamed by humanity. Lions, tamed. Killer whales, tamed. Bears, tamed. Hippos, tamed. Cats, mostly doing their own thing. Am I right? <laughs> Loch Ness Monster, still looking. Okay. But the point is clear. Listen, hear me. That humans have tamed the wildest animals and the craziest creatures. But the apostle is cleverly acknowledging that in spite of our ability to tame all of these animals, we cannot tame our tongues. One tiny piece of flesh. But follow me, and this has been interesting to me to think about. As careful readers of the scriptures... We know that there's one thing in particular in the early chapters of our story that humanity failed to rule over, the snake. That humanity failed to rule over the snake. Genesis chapter three, if you wanna turn back there with me quickly, keep your finger in James, turn back to somewhere around page three of our story. I'll start reading at verse one. Now the serpent was more clever than any of the wild animals that Yahweh God made. And he said to the woman, is it really true that God said, you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said, you must not eat from it and you must not touch it or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like the divine beings who know good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food and was attractive to the eye and was desirable for making one wise, she took of it and ate it. So notice the snake speaks to the woman. Are you with me? Speech here. Challenging the very word that was spoken by God. As Dallas Willard famously said, the snake didn't hit Eve with a stick, but with an idea. The snake speaks out a deceptive idea. God is holding out from on you. God is not good. God is against you. The snake speaks lies because when the snake speak, speaks lies, he speaks his native language. The idea spoken by the snake feeds to something that's disordered inside the woman. The spoken idea latches onto a disordered desire and it turns the world upside down. Hear me, the snake with his tongue by the power of speech turned our whole world upside down. All it took was saying one thing because words can create new worlds, fallen worlds. See, the consequence of not taming the snake was that death entered the world. And according to James, the tongue functions the same way by not taming the tongue. Death and chaos and destruction will continue to fill our world. Similar to the snake, the tongue has become an uncontrolled evil and it overflows with death-dealing poison. You see, James wants us to know that behind the death-dealing poison of our tongues is the snake, the devil, the slanderer, who inflames the tongue in hostility to God and one another. See, the snake, according to the gospel of John, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character because he is the father of lies. James continues, by means of our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and by means of our tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and 
curse. Again, James uses language here that's taken directly from Genesis 1. Yes, Genesis chapter 1, humans are made in the image and in the likeness of God. Now, the word image is the word that we often hear and we often use to describe this. James is actually the only New Testament author that uses the word likeness. And that word means something like same essence or same substance. That somehow, according to our biblical authors, humans share in the very substance of God. That there's, there's something of God in us. Now, why would James say this? Because he wants you to know that if humans share in the very nature and substance of God, then when you curse another human, you are in reality cursing God. When you curse another human being, you are in reality cursing God. When we bless other humans, we in reality bless God. Because hear me, all humans regardless of their socioeconomic status or their political leanings or their personal persuasions, they all are made in the image and likeness of God. And when we curse them and when we speak curse over them, we are in reality speaking curse over one who shares the image and likeness of God himself. How often does this happen for us in our lives? We come into the church, we sing praises to God with our tongues. We say, bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. We speak words with our tongue that we say come from the Holy Spirit. We say that it's good to be together. But when we leave, we start criticizing one another. We start cursing other humans or maybe just cursing generally by the time we hit the parking lot because everyone's trying to get out at the same time. Are you with me? Hello. How often does this happen that we use our tongue for both blessing and somehow for curse. In fact, the rabbis cautioned against cursing for the very same reason. One should not say, let my neighbor be put to shame, for then you put to shame the one who is in the image of God. Or in the words of the Testament of Benjamin, the good set of mine does not talk from both sides of its mouth. Praises and curses, abuse and honor, calm and strife, hypocrisy, truth, poverty, wealth. But it has one disposition, uncontaminated and pure towards all men. You see, words create worlds. Verse 10, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Answer, no. Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield yield olives or a grapevine figs? Answers, no. Neither can salt water yield fresh water. James concludes this section by returning to a different set of word pictures, which force us to think about something that God has created, doing something that is antithetical or opposite to its nature, a spring that somehow could produce fresh and salt water. Have you ever seen one? (laughs) Or a fig tree that is somehow producing olives or a grapevine that is producing figs. None of these things are possible. And so James uses this imagery to secure the main point of what he is saying this morning. Humans were created for blessing, so how could we possibly produce curse? We just weren't created for cursing. We were created for blessing, to speak blessing. You see, the tongue can be used for the highest good and the lowest evil. It reveals the reality of our hearts and minds. It shows whether we are salty and producing evil fruit or whether we are fresh and we are producing good fruit. As Jesus of Nazareth said in his great sermon on the Mount, every good tree produces good fruit. But the bad tree produces bad fruit. Hear me, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, 
nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruit. Another gospel writer says, you will know them by their love. And what I want to say to you this morning is you will know them by their speech. Friends, the world will know us by our speech. In a season like the one we are in that's filled with disinformation and ideology and propaganda and divisions on all sides of the political aisles, and we, we are not exempt from this. We feel the pull of division even in our own community. And as Ben preached a few weeks ago, we need wisdom to stay together because we will not be divided as the world is divided. But hear me, cursing and cursing one another and gossiping and slandering and criticizing, these things will only drive us apart because that is the native language of the devil. And you were not created for it. And the world will see us. And we will testify to the world and the reality of the God we serve by the fact that our tongues will be tamed. And we will be a people of blessing. Hear me, the world will know you by your speech. The world will know you by the things that you say. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of this passage from Matthew 7, puts it this way. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who people are is the main thing, not just what they say. A genuine person will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. The diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. You see, the activity of blessing where we praise God and where we honor each other, this is the purest, most noble form of speech because as humans, this is what we were created for. As one scholar puts it, the tongue which is also a created entity, must conform to its nature and produce a single effect. Blessing and cursing cannot result from the same source. The point James makes is clear, just as it is against nature for one kind of tree to yield a different kind of fruit, so human speech should not utter what is inconsistent. The law of creation and the law of nature demand uniformity. Friends, world words create worlds. And so there are two paths that lie before us this morning uh, in order for us to rise as the church. There is the wide path, the path that wants to use the tongue to gossip and to curse and to slander. It's a world of iniquity. And yet there is also a narrow path that will use the tongue for blessing and thanksgiving and gratitude. And in order to rise, we must become a community of blessing and a culture of curse In order for blessing to flow from our corporate tongue, we need to invite the wisdom of God to come and aid us and to invite the spirit to discipline and to purify and to tame our tongue. In the fourth century, Augustine said this about this passage. He said, he does not say that no one can tame the tongue, but no one among humanity can tame the tongue. So that when it is tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity and the help and the grace of God. Friends, none of us in the room on our own can actually tame our tongue, but hear me, God can by the power of the Holy Spirit. He can tame our tongues. And hear me, this is not a matter this morning of clenching our teeth and trying harder. That will not work for us. We need to recognize that we are in desperate need of the pity and the help and the grace of God to recognize that we have allowed our tongues to go wildly under control and we have stained the entirety of our corporate body and we need the spirit to come in discipline and to purify and to tame our tongues. Apart from God, this is not possible, but with God, it is possible. 
Friends, in this inflammatory moment, I would love for us as a church, as a people, to be representatives of the kingdom of God, for us to rise up and recognize that our words create worlds, so we need the Spirit to come and to tame our tongues so that we can unleash blessing because we were created for blessing. Hear me, you know how I know we were created for blessing? Because we're made in the image of God and God's native language is blessing. He is a God of blessing. So if we are made in his image, then the one thing we must do is conform to that image by the power of the Holy Spirit and become a people of blessing. So as I invite the band to return this morning, I, I wanna say something very clear to us. And I think this is true. And I've prayed about this a lot this week. And I think this is the one thing out of everything I've said that the Spirit wants to say to us. So listen in, lean in for a moment. Our impact in the world will never exceed our ability to bless. You know, they often say uh, that the speed of an organization uh, or the growth of an organization moves at the speed of trust. And I wanna say similarly, and I think the spirit is saying similarly, that our ability to impact our city with the life-transforming presence of Jesus will never exceed our ability to be a people of blessing. The more we bless, the more God will move through us. Our ability uh, to bless, our ability to impact the world will never exceed our ability to bless. Hear me, we can never get farther than our ability to be a people that speak blessing, that unleash gratitude, and declare thankfulness. And so just a couple of things as the band returns, how are we gonna move towards this together? Just a couple of things as we close. First, we need to slow down. Are you with me? We need to learn to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and and slow to become angry, hesitating in speech so that we can reflect on our words. It will communicate delay and thoughtfulness to think about what we're saying before we let the words just fall rapidly out of our mouths. This will demonstrate care. I think it will show wisdom and attentiveness to the people who are in front of us. Notice that our culture has reversed this equation. Our culture is uh, slow to listen and quick to speak. And our calling is to be a people who are quick to listen and slow to speak, to be honest and attentive and caring to those who are in front of us. The second thing we need to do is remind ourselves that our tongue is the channel or the pathway for power. The tongue can stain the entirety of our body with thoughtless chattering, with lying, with boasting, with gossiping, and the enormous and sometimes irreversible harm that comes from unsubstantiated and and often false rumors. Chattering, lying, boasting, gossiping, slandering, spreading false rumors, these are often harder to stop than any forest fire. Are you with me? And these are not uh, only, uh, these reveal the deepest parts of our hearts. Third, we need to be honest and be careful with harsh words. Remember that a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Margaret Atwood once remarked, a voice is a human gift and it should be cherished and used to utter as much fully human speech as possible. But finally, the mouth of a fool gushes folly and the mouth of the wise speak wisdom. I wonder what would happen if we became a community that was slow to speak that was careful with our words and by the power of the Holy Spirit eliminated gossip and slander and meddling and we understood our own human limitations, what would happen? 
I honestly think that we would begin to move with the wind of the Spirit, but I don't think that would even be enough because in order to rise, it's not simply that we need to eliminate unhealthy speech patterns, but more importantly, we need to recognize our true calling as the people of God to rise up as a people of blessing. See, in order to truly rise, I think we need to unleash blessing, which will first happen in our community here as First Assembly. And as that begins to happen here in our community, it will start to bleed out and it will start to stain the whole world. What would happen if what was staining the world was not unrighteousness and iniquity and filthy speech, but what was staining the world around us was blessing? I just, I have this dream that we become a community that people come to because we are the people who speak in the native language of what it means to be human, the language of blessing. You see, words create worlds. And if words create worlds, then we must use our words to testify to the truth, to speak God's world into existence, to unleash goodness and blessing with the power of our tongues. And no matter what anyone tells you, hear me, your words are creating worlds. I have a three and a half month old at home. And I've never been more aware that the things that I say to her in this very formative time are some of the most important things that I could ever say to her or speak over her. And I know based on her reactions, even though she can't speak, I know that she recognizes one phrase undoubtedly. And the phrase is, I love you. I have been singing it to her. I have been speaking it to her every day since the day that she came home. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, that's, is that for me? Like I'm, this is just the vision. What would happen if this is who we were as a people? That the words that we spoke over one another were words of blessing and hope and life and gratitude and thanksgiving. What if we became a people that started by the power of the Spirit to conform to who God wanted to make us to be? That is a people of blessing. See, I am so aware in this moment where speech is running rampant, whether it be physically spoken or typed on a keyboard, that so much hate is being thrown into the world. And what would happen if we were a people that blessed when we were cursed? If we said, I'm so grateful for you, I'm thankful for you, I love you, here's what I see in you, let me just speak this over you. There is power in your tongue, your words create worlds. Friends, our impact will never exceed our ability to bless. And so I just wanna invite the spirit, I wanna invite you to spend time thinking about this in these days. Of course, it's Thanksgiving. This makes sense. Speak words of gratitude and thanksgiving. Share with your tongue what you are, what you are thankful for. But it can't end there. It's not a one-day-a-year affair. <laughs> it's like saltwater ponds don't become fresh water for one day and then salty again overnight. Are you with me? Our impact will never exceed our ability to bless. So here's all I want to say. Take time today and for Thanksgiving to share what you're thankful for and maybe just maybe get vulnerable with each other and speak those things that you love about one another, that you're grateful for in one another. But then maybe, just maybe, if I can offer us something to do as we move from today and tomorrow, maybe just make a note on your phone once a day, once a day to reach out to someone in your life and just speak words of blessing over them. One person a day. Doesn't have to be much. I got a text from Pastor Ben yesterday. I'm praying for you, praying for you for tomorrow. It's like that. These are words of blessing. This, this communicates that what's happening in the heart is something thoughtful and it's coming through the tongue. It's being communicated. So friends, my prayer for us is that we would be a community that rises up in blessing in a culture of curse. Let's pray together. God, we recognize 
that no human being on their own possesses the ability to tame the tongue. And so God, we need you. Oh God, how we need you. God, we need your pity and your mercy and your grace to shine on us, that we can learn to be a people by the power of Holy Spirit that tames our tongues. Help us to slow down and to be quick to listen and slow to speak, that, that the religion that we have would be a religion that is profoundly worthwhile because we control our tongues, that we would care for one another. And more than anything, God, I pray that by Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts to become a people that just unleash blessing here in our community at First Assembly. And I pray, God, that that would bleed out into our city. And I pray that it would, it would stain our whole city. I pray that our city would know that we are a community of blessing. We're a people of blessing. We're a people of wisdom and vision and boldness and prayer and love. And we speak our native language. We speak blessing. God, make this so by your power and your power alone. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. We pray that you have received truth and have been encouraged. For more information about First Assembly, how to get connected, and to listen to our latest worship albums, please visit our website at www.fa.church. 